joy is just as valid as pain. So if somebody's doing a show about something that stirs up frustration or anger, a lot of times in the art world, those emotions somehow are hierarchically higher on the scale of art than something that just expresses joy. I, as an artist, I need to express all of those because I, as a human, have all of these emotions. I have a lot of parts of me and I need to express them all. And then I, as an audience member, sometimes I want to see work that challenges me to change and think about things differently. And then sometimes I just want to feel good. I want to feel inspired. I want to feel uplifted. And I want to feel like we, as humans, can overcome things. Being a circus boss is all about being confident on and off stage. It's about you living more of those powerful moments when time stands still and your audience is captivated and connected and everything feels right in the world. Welcome to the Circus Boss Podcast. This is the space where we talk about all things business and marketing related to circus so you can make those big dreams happen. We're your co-hosts, Brock and Eileen, and we help circus performers and producers manage your business with ease so you can spend more time on the flying trapeze. So if you're a circus boss that's ready for more, hit subscribe and join us every week. Your audience awaits. Hey friends, good to see you here or good to feel you here? I don't know. I can't hear you. So I guess it would be feel because I definitely can't see you. But I feel your presence. How's that? (laughs) Eileen here with another episode of the Circus Boss podcast. And today I'm tackling the question, is performing at corporate events selling out as an artist? And I can already tell you, I don't think it's selling out. So this whole podcast episode is going to be about me proving my point of why I don't think it is. So love to hear your thoughts on this after I share all of my thoughts. But before we dive in, I just wanted to say thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in every week. If you missed us, we've been gone for two weeks. We took a little summer vacay. We took a nice road trip out to Colorado. We visited Dominic and Ricky with Homestead Circus Productions out in Paonia, Colorado, and absolutely love who they are and what they're doing. So I wanted to give them a shout out because spending time with them really helped me remember a lot of the things that we deal with when we're doing entertainment at events. And I know for years, I felt like I suffered in silence is a very dramatic Scorpio thing to say, but I definitely took on a lot and didn't reach out to my community enough and didn't have people to talk to about all the things that I dealt with on a regular basis. So we're trying to change that with Circus Boss. And even if this conversation feels one-sided because I'm speaking and you're listening, we really do want to hear your thoughts. I know we're always saying it, but Hit us up on the Insta, and we also have a Facebook group, the Circus Boss Community. So we'd love to keep these conversations going. But yeah, that's the topic for today. And again, thanks for tuning in. Also, thank you to our Circus Talk listeners. Thank you to Circus Talk for helping distribute our podcast. And it's going to be another solo episode with yours truly, Eileen, 
she, her pronouns, chief inspiration officer here at Circus Boss. So for today's topic, I feel like I have to give you a little bit of backstory, a little stroll down Eileen history lane. I have a lot of chapters. I've done a lot of things in my life because I'm an adventurer. I don't know. I've just done a lot. <laughs> I've created my own unique path and that path has a lot of a lot of chapters. So I'm just going to keep it brief and someday maybe I'll elaborate on some of the little chapters that I'm going to hint at today. But this idea of selling out as an artist is a concept I've run into throughout most of my life. I've heard other people hint at it or blatantly say it. And there's been times when I've taken it on, quite honestly, and then got a little reality check which I'm going to talk about. But I just want to share a little bit about my background to help paint the picture of where I've encountered this. So first, I want to go all the way back to when I was seven years old. I was going to a dance studio in Miami called The Dance Center, and it was musical theater based. They had a company, a youth performing company called Babes Off Broadway, and we got to take off school and go around and perform at other schools. I really got my introduction to dance and performing through doing musical theater, which is kind of what I would put in more of the, quote, entertainment camp if I'm going to draw sides. I don't want to draw sides, but that was my introduction. So I was doing my ballet, doing my musical theater, did a little bit of acting and singing, got to do like Annie and Grease and The Sound of Music and The Wiz and uh, Sweet Charity. So that was my youth. Then for high school, we actually moved to Orlando, and I went to a performing arts magnet called Dr. Phillips High School. A lot of talent came out of that school. It was a really great school. Joey Fatone was there for a few years behind me, and DJ Khaled actually was in my little group of friends back in the day. But I got to do like modern dance during the day. That was my introduction to modern dance, and I had exposure to kind of the performing arts or higher art kind of approach to dance, I guess, at that point. But then after school, since it was Orlando, all of my teachers at my dance studio were dancers at Disney, and it was a competition studio. So that was kind of more of the the razzle-dazzle, fake eyelashes competition, more of this like kind of entertainment side. So I had like my performing arts stuff during the day and then my entertainment stuff at night. Oh yeah, and side note, my high school was across the street from Universal Studios. So when I would leave class, it was an outdoor campus. So in between classes, you had to walk outside from one class to another. You could literally hear the screams of people on roller coasters right across the street. I might have skipped school a bunch when I was in high school to go to theme parks, but that's another chapter. Anyways, I'm trying to stay on track here. So college, I moved back to Miami. I went to New World School of the Arts, got a BFA in dance. And that was definitely the high art, I will call it. Uh, theatrical production, traditional modern dance. All of my teachers there were transplants from New York. During the 80s, they all, 80s and 90s, I should say, they all danced with greats like Jose Limon, Martha Graham, Laura Lubavitch, Alvin Ailey. And so that was really the career track that they were teaching us when I was in school there was to be a professional modern dancer with a company in New York. That was kind of the like the goal of that training. 
So I had that during the day and of course, you know, performances and things on weekends, but also I wanted some more razzle dazzle in my life. So I took contract work. I did work like on cruise ships and then I performed at the Fountain Blue Hilton in Miami. It was uh, an old Vegas style review show. And so I got to be a showgirl on the stage there. For any Miamians, this was before the Fountain Blue was renovated. It's a nightclub now, which is a cool nightclub, but it's a shame because it used to be a full-on Vegas-style dinner theater. So I was like modern dancer by day, showgirl by night. And I honestly got a lot of pushback from some of my professors that that wasn't really a valid career path. That wasn't like being an artist, you know, doing the showgirl work. And quite honestly, after being there for many years, I started to take that on. And my time in school really shaped me for who I am as an artist. However, I really questioned myself and doubted. Like I always had to have that Eileen flair. <laughs> I grew up going to Disney World. I grew up doing this musical theater and doing the competitions. And I love modern dance. And it's so much of who I am. It's grounded in me, right? But I need sparkle. I need glitter. I need eyelashes. You know, sometimes I have something really profound that I want to express. And sometimes I just want to smile and kick my leg up, <laughs> you know, and I allowed myself to quietly judge that, that part of my expression after my college years, because it wasn't serious enough. It wasn't changing the world. I needed to do art that had a message. And it was just an interesting judgment that I that I'm going to say I took it on because that's what the predominant uh, viewpoint was of everyone in my school at that time. So fast forward many years, I, I lived and worked as a modern dancer and choreographer and then decided that I wanted to go travel in South America. I, I joined a group called. Uh, so I just have to pause for a minute. I hope I'm not boring you <laughs> with my backstory. I try to keep these podcasts really focused on providing you useful information in your life. And forgive me for indulging on this stroll down Eileen Lane, but it is a part of my story that I wanted to share because it, it shapes my viewpoints on this. And I'm about to get to a point where my viewpoint changed again. And so this next part of the story is... The whole point of all of this. It's close to my heart. So anyways, I decided that I wanted to go live and travel in South America. So I found a caravan. It was called La Caravana Arcoiris por la Paz, which is a rainbow peace caravan. And they traveled in school buses. They had a circus tent. And I basically called it a save the earth circus because they did circus shows and they taught sustainability. So Anyways, I traveled with them throughout Peru and then to the north of Chile. And after being in this city called Arica, which is a lovely city, it's the city of eternal spring, I decided to stay there and let the caravan continue traveling south. I stayed there and worked at a, like, it was an art center that had everything, dance and circus and theater. And they even had musicians, like recording studios for musicians. And then they had a painting workshop and then they had a sewing workshop. So it was literally all the pieces that you need to produce a show all in one art center. And they would create these productions all together where there'd be like the person over here painting the backdrop, 
this person making the costumes, the the musicians creating original music for the shows and rehearsing it while the performers were creating the work and the theater was creating the script. It was just like, wow, I had never experienced something so all-inclusive in the States. And so I fell in love with it. It was right two blocks. No, I'm exaggerating. Excuse me. I think like six blocks from the beach. But either way, a quick stroll down to the beach. That's where I had my introduction to circus, was traveling with La Caravana and then also in Arica. And what I noticed in working with my friends and artists there was they really appreciated every single opportunity. Like, I stayed and danced and performed and, and did circus and worked with them. So I got to be part of a lot of the shows they did. But one day it would be, you know, street performing, busking at stoplights. Then the next day they would be doing a show for kids teaching about recycling in school assemblies. And then we'd be doing go-go dancing in nightclubs and doing circus productions in nightclubs and in casinos. And then we did theatrical productions on stages. And it, it was just this full range of all the things that I, w- that I loved doing. And I kind of had to learn to let go of some of that judgment that I had picked up during school because they were just grateful for every opportunity dancing was dancing. It was like dance was dance, circus was circus. There was no greater than or less than or, or, you know, and I, I started to realize that this idea of thinking that a certain type of circus or a certain type of performance is better than another is kind of elitist and privileged. And I felt like a spoiled brat (laughs) to be able to say, well, I don't do that kind of performing. I only do this kind of performing. So it was uh, pretty humbling. And it helped me really get back to my roots and realize that, no, I actually do like feathers and fishnets and fake eyelashes and sparkles and spandex. Like, (laughs) I like the sparkle. Um, But like I said, then I also have profound things to express and I want to do that too. So being in Arica, my friends there really helped me reconcile these two parts of myself that had been in conflict ever since my years of college. But then when I look back and in my earlier years, in my foundations as a performer, I didn't have that conflict. I was doing all of it, you know. So that all leads me to where I'm at today. So when somebody comes to me and talks about how making money as an artist is evil or doing work at events is selling out, like, I 100% disagree. And I think that it's a shame that there has to be any kind of judgment that we have towards other types of art or other artists because I as an artist I need to express all of those because I as a human have all of these emotions I have a lot of parts of me and I need to express them all and then I as an audience member sometimes I want to see work that challenges me to change and think about things differently and then sometimes I just want to feel good I want to feel inspired, I want to feel uplifted, and I want to feel like we as humans can overcome things. Sometimes I just need to envision a better world or step into an alternate reality, right? So that's my little soapbox talk (laughs) about why I personally need all of these forms of expression and think they're all valid. So now I want to get into some nitty gritty and I'm going to go through some different opinions that I've heard and 
share why I disagree with some of these statements. So that first one is performing at corporate events, selling out as an artist. Okay, so first up, I just want to say, do you know that Cirque du Soleil, Cirque El Waz, Seven Fingers, and No Fit State all have special events departments? So maybe you think those companies are selling out too. I don't know, but I personally don't. I think they are paying the bills because it's really hard to make a living as an artist. And so if part of that equation or all of that equation involves performing at corporate events, then how is that selling out? Does that mean we as artists expressing ourselves do not deserve to be profitable? So I think that's some weird (laughs) belief structure that we have that art doesn't have value inherently. So yes, you deserve to be profitable. So something else that I learned later on in my adult performing years was people don't really talk about money. They don't really talk about like where the money comes from. And at some point I started to notice that a lot of the artists around me that were successful actually had had other money. They either had a spouse that had a lot of money, they had family money, they had another job, or they had retired from a job with a lot of money. And it kind of skews the understanding of what it means to be successful as an artist, because you can have awesome performances and get all of the residencies and the commissions and the performances. But if having money outside of your art is what helped you to achieve that and you're not sharing that, I think that does a disservice because I was always trying to like make a living as an artist. and I had a hard time trying to make ends meet, which I think some of you can relate to. And so if you don't have other sources of money, then please don't worry about judging yourself if you want to do corporate events as a way to fund your art. Because when I did grant writing with animate objects in my early days, grant writing never covered all of the costs. So most grants say what line items they will cover in a production. And so there are a lot of areas that just weren't covered. And then also most grants are project-based. But in order to do projects, you have to have a foundation, which is some kind of company, which means ongoing operating costs. And you don't really get to do grants that cover operating expenses until you're at a certain level and you've done a lot of work. I'm not saying it can't be done. Obviously, people do it successfully. I chose about four years in after doing the grant writing and the self-producing. I decided to just do event work because I didn't have to rent theaters. I didn't have to sell tickets. There were a lot of reasons that I went in that direction, but financially it made what I wanted to do more feasible. So in case anyone out there is trying to make ends meet with money and you're feeling this confliction of like, will I be selling out if I do corporate events? You know, however you need to make the money to do what you do, I support that and I think it's valid. And just remember, larger companies are doing it and then sometimes there's money coming from other places that help fund the art. You do you. (laughs) All right, so this next question that I, I threw out there Is circus in a tent more valid than circus at events? So here's the thing. There are some pros to doing circus at events that you might not have experienced or thought about, but I experienced over the years and just really confirmed that I felt really good about the work that we were doing at events. 
So one thing is a lot of times people that are at events aren't expecting to see entertainment. When you do a show, someone purchases a ticket, you know you're going to see a circus show, but we got to surprise people that sometimes didn't even know a performance was happening and that can turn people into fans of circus because they might not have gone to see it on their own. And also doing work at events really can challenge us to think outside of the proscenium because you get to do work that's immersive and you also get to do work that's super intimate and up close interacting with guests so people can get this firsthand experience close up with a performer that they never could get at a tent show or a proscenium stage show. And so I really enjoyed that personal interaction. Something else that's come up is this concern of like, am I supporting corporations by performing at their events? So there might be certain tech giants that you might not want to support with your money. And, you know, I I support that. I'm definitely not all pro-capitalism here, (laughs) If if I'll share some of my beliefs. So there were definitely a lot of companies that we worked for, that we provided entertainment for, that are not companies that I would support with my own money. And here's the thing. I enjoyed being able to say, okay, well, here's a tech company or, or any kind of corporation that you, if you might not agree with what they're doing and who they are and, and who they support, if you're performing at events and they're paying you and then you're redistributing that money to artists, okay, that's good work right there. And so that's how one of the ways that we thought about our work and our relationship to corporations that I might not spend my money supporting your corporation, but if I can do work for you and then take that money and infuse that into the pocketbooks of local artists, that feels good. And then another thing we used to talk about a lot was we did work for a lot of the big tech giants in Seattle. And these are people that are creating the technologies and innovations that maybe shaping tomorrow are shaping our future. And so like that's a platform to be able to present what I want the world to look like, right? So I can normalize non-binary genders. I can create fantastical creatures or even switch the role expectations, the gendered role expectations, right? I can showcase strong, powerful women roles. I can showcase non-heteronormative relationships. I can feature BIPOC artists and different body types and different abilities. If I can put into a production what I want the world to look like, and I'm doing that in front of people that are creating the technologies and innovations that shape our future, I feel like really important work. (laughs) So it's not like just preaching for the choir. You know, people that love circus are going to go see circus. Like, We were bringing this to people that might not go see a circus show. And so that's an important platform and that's important work there. And now I get to the question, is entertainment real art? And I have air quotes. I'm doing air quotes if you can see them or feel them. Um, Can you feel when I do air quotes? Maybe you can hear my knuckles crack. (laughs) But anyways, is entertainment real art? So I told you my story when I was in Chile and I just need to say it again because all emotions are valid. Joy is just as valid as pain. So if somebody's doing a show about 
that something that stirs up frustration or anger. A lot of times in the art world, those emotions somehow are hierarchically higher on the scale of art than something that just expresses joy. And that goes back to my art school days too, but I don't know why that is. Is it joy is not complex enough? I mean, the world is complex. <laughs> Life is complex. So we need joy. I talk about this a lot in terms of Katy Perry, because I think that people view her work, maybe at least her earlier work, as cheesy and bubblegum and pop and, you know, there's no depth to it. But like, it takes a lot to get out on stage and just put out positivity. Honestly, I think that takes a lot of strength and a lot of confidence because the world is complex and we need joy. I think joy is just as valid as pain, just like sunshine and rain. <laughs> Any 80s kids out there? <laughs> pump it up, pump it up. Joy and pain. Sorry. Um, and here's another one, y'all, I got to throw out there is spandex and sparkles and pointed toes. Is that less valid than jeans and flexed feet? Okay, I might be having too much fun over here. Sorry, that's a whole other conversation that we can have someday. So another thing that comes up when you're doing work at events is sometimes people come to you with their ideas and you either mimic back their idea or you make it your own. But what does it mean to make art anyways? In general, is a definition of art meaning that it has to be your own idea? I think in the performing arts, we really, really gravitate towards that. But think about all the pieces that are inspired by another work of art or inspired by a song or so much of what we do is inspired by something else. So why does it make it really less than if your inspiration comes from somebody else's idea? So a blank canvas is death, honestly. And when someone else brings an idea to the table, in my experience, that challenged me to grow as an artist because it brought themes to me that I would never consider working on on my own. And it really expanded my view of what I could be creating work about. So another one that comes up is, will I lose my voice as an artist if I do event work? This is one that honestly, sometimes I would have come up and I feel like that was remnants of my old college higher art education coming back at me. Will I lose my voice as an artist if I do event work? because I'm not getting to create exactly what I want to create or what I want to say about the world. And I'm going to be honest, you do have to consider your audience. Now, personally, I think if you're performing for any audience, it's great to consider your audience, but especially when somebody is, is paying you to produce a piece of art or a piece of work or entertainment, whatever it is that you're creating, if someone else is paying you to create that, you do have to consider the audience. And so that means that you might need to choose what topics, what themes, what music, what costuming, you know, things that are appropriate. Like one time, <laughs> one time we had a client hiring us to do a fire performance and poor things, they had been burned. Ooh, I didn't even mean to say that. <laughs> they did not get burned literally by the fire performance, but they got burned metaphorically. And here's what happened. They told us that they had hired 
people, I don't know who it was, to do a fire performance for this corporate event. And apparently the people they hired decided that they were going to do a stick it to the man performance. So they were basically anti-corporations, probably anti-capitalism. I'm not sure, but they use their fire performance to stick it to the man. I can't remember what she said. They had a banner that came out at the end that said some things. I can't remember something about the music that they chose, but yes, you do need to filter and you do need to think about what you're presenting. However, what I learned over the years is it's about learning how to get people excited about your ideas. You don't have to just do everything they ask you for. If someone comes to you with a specific request, I have an expression that I like to say, are you an order taker or a creator? A lot of times when an event planner or a client comes to you with an idea for a show or an idea for entertainment, that is a solution to something they're trying to figure out. So if you can try to get underneath that, and say, well, why did they want that in the first place? You might have a better solution because you are creative. You are an expert at what you do. And that's what I learned over the years is when somebody would ask me for ABC, I would either come back with ABCDE and add my own ideas on top of it. Or I would say, hey, you know what? We have this other thing, XYZ, that you might not know about. And I think that's actually could be a great fit for this. So you learn how to get people excited about your ideas. So you're not losing your voice. I did not lose my voice as an artist, even though I was afraid of it earlier on in my event days. I felt very fulfilled by the work that I got to create. And we get really excited about the ideas that I got to pitch. So one of the strategies is to like create a show that you want to produce And then you can start to book the pieces of it one by one or try to book the whole show. But sometimes it takes a little while, but that way you're getting to create your work, but have people pay for you to create it. So you just keep pitching your ideas to clients until one of them bites. It's just getting better at pitching and proposing your work. And then another thing is to try to get ahead of the curve. Don't wait for somebody to ask you to make something. Try to show proof of concept, whether it's just a photo shoot or a sketch or something to show them what something would look like and just start trying to sell your idea. So all of this is to say, don't let limiting beliefs and elitist attitudes about art limit your ability to be profitable because money isn't evil. I I hear artists say these things like, oh, I don't want to really make money. I won't be art anymore. I don't want to monetize my art. And, And I hear where that's coming from, but does that have to be true? Because if you had more money in your life, you get to decide what your life looks like and you get to decide where that money goes. So if you want to support more causes and support local farms and support black owned businesses and be able to donate and support causes that need your help, like how is that evil? (laughs) You know, so here's a little exercise that if you are struggling, just sit down and journal. If I had more money, what would my life look like? What would I be able to have in my life? What would I be able to do with that money? It's just a tool of exchange. And there are times <laughs> that I wish our capitalist society would fall and crumble and we would live a very different lifestyle. And I'll be honest, there was a part of me that hoped that that was going to what was going to happen when COVID <sighs> shut everything down. But alas, I don't think that's going to happen in our lifetime. So Why not try to carve out your own slice of happiness within a system that exists? So 
what would your life look like if you had more money? Who would you be able to support? What would you be able to have in your life? Because here's the thing. I really do think you deserve to make money with your talent and your skills. I know you've invested a lot of time and money to get to where you are today. And we all know exposure does not pay the bills. So this is my whole TED talk. (laughs) This is my soapbox talk about these limiting beliefs and elitist attitudes. And again, I'm just going to recall my friends from Chile where every opportunity was an opportunity to perform and they took it with gratitude and excitement. And I try to hold those lessons with me as I move forward in my day to day. And so if you are doing circus in the events industry, some things that I've learned that help are number one, claim your space in the circus community. There were times that I disconnected from circus community and just focused on events and I felt like a fish out of water. So claim your space in the circus community. There's the American Circus Alliance you can join. There's Circus Talk. You can join online and connect with circus performers around the globe. You can connect with your local circus school. And then there's also the performing arts venues and local arts councils. Get plugged in to the performing arts side, the artistic side of what you're doing, because it is art. Even though you're entertaining people and even though you might be running a for-profit business, it is still art. So claim your space (laughs) and then claim your space in the events industry. So maybe you're really claiming your space in the circus community and you're comfortable and that's your home and that's your community. Well, we need more of you showing up in the events industry because the events industry doesn't really understand circus enough. They don't understand what it takes to make it happen, but yet they want it at their events. And so if you're a producer of circus in the events industry, you can relate when I say so much of your job is education. You're teaching your clients that their requests are not realistic. And so your job is to show them what is realistic. And of course, dream big. Believe me, I was all about dreaming big, but their logistics are needed to make dreams happen. So Anyways, claim your space in the events industry. Join associations. I talk about this a lot. There's ILEA, I-L-E-A, nothing to do with ILE, <laughs> but <laughs> that's I-L-E-I-G-H. But ILEA is International Live Events Association. Then there's NACE, National Association for Catering and Events. And then there's MPI, Meeting Professionals International. Join associations, do networking events, show up in the events industry, networking spaces, but then also submit awards. So a lot of times I see the awards are entered by not the circus makers, but the people that hired the circus makers. Well, as a circus maker, you can be applying for awards too. And I want to see more visibility on that front. So A few episodes, I think it was actually last episode, we had a a download we talked about called the Document My Work Checklist. That was circusboss.com slash documentmywork, all one word. Download that because a lot of that is informed by my years of writing awards entries. I should say writing and winning awards and then also judging awards. I judged on awards panels both regionally and nationally for a lot of these associations. So I know the level of work that people are submitting for these awards and please do not feel intimidated because you deserve to be getting awards too. So if you have no idea how to write awards and you want to do that, that's something we can also help you with coaching. But just start by downloading that document in my work checklist because it helps you get all of the pieces 
in order to be able to apply for awards. And then the third thing, you're claiming your space in the circus industry, claim your space in the events industry, and then connect with us and let us know what you need. After visiting with Homestead Circus Productions in Paonia last week, we just really feel committed to lean into helping performers and company owners that are making circus at events because it's this unique, sometimes like weird stepchild of circus that is like in between these two worlds of circus and events. And that's the world that we know intimately. And so we're really going to be leaning into that a little more with our work and just making sure that we're supporting you. So let us know what you need and also share this podcast with your friends and colleagues because we want to help everyone rise up. So that was my talk today. It was a little passionate one. I hope it resonated with you. And if it didn't resonate with you, I want to hear that too. Because maybe I'm missing some points here that um, I'm always up for a good discussion. So thanks for tuning in. And just remember, performing at corporate events is not selling out as an artist. Keep being a circus boss and we'll see you next time.